0: Not the kind that wiggle Tea that you drink, not scribble All together in a cottage she calls
1: Dave Toes and Tea with Nanny B Hello to you and welcome to my cottage I like to call Dave You've made it in the nick of time The kettle's boiled and my neighbour Jules will be here any minute now Oh, There, there seems to be someone at the door uh, Hello Hello, Nanny Bee. It's your neighbor, Jules, with a story. Oh, what a lovely surprise. Does this mean you have a new tale for us? Yes, I do. But first, we have a wonder word. The wonder word! Hi, my name's Ophelia, and I have a wonder word, Nanny Bee. It's... Whatchamacallit... Whatchamacallit is a name for something when you can't remember its name or don't know it. My dad calls lots of things it, but not me. He calls me Ophelia. Bye for now.
0: A word for when you're wondering. The best kind of wonder word. Make sure to listen out for Ophelia's it. Are you ready for today's story? Oh, yes, please. Okay, then. Come Sail Away, adapted for radio. Grandfather's study was a place where one didn't touch a thing. Not the globe dangling half-cocked, not the stuffed pigeon, the moose, or the fox, and definitely not, decidedly not, the smallest of ships adrift in a bottle to the left of the mantelpiece clock. The last grandchild to touch such a thing in grandfather's study was Georgiana, and the thing she last touched was the smallest of ships alone and adrift in a fragile and sheer glass bottle. Prior to the bottle-touching incident, Georgie was a perky and, to be honest, precocious child, always wanting this and insisting fervently on that. She was five days, four hours, and two minutes older than Henry, her uncle's son, and she reminded him of that fact every occasion on which they met. These occasions were often some sort of family celebration or commiseration and frequently held at the aforementioned grandfather's house. Now, in a house with few options, one could be excused or at least understood for entering grandfather's sacred study. But in a house as large as grandiose gables, there was no excuse. At this sprawling estate, one could explore the billiard room, the butterfly enclosure, the badminton court. One could find their way to the indoor pool, the outdoor theater, and the underground bunker. One could get lost in the maze, read books in the library for days, or simply wander around the dining hall and perpetually graze. There was no excuse, no possible reason for one to enter Grandfather's study, except, of course, to relent to its call. For all who passed by and were of a limited age, the study would almost whisper to them, Come. Come in, come in
1: and see.
0: Nobody knew the cut-off age precisely, but by the time the grandchildren reached double digits, they had no recollection of ever being beckoned by the study at all. One can only assume that perhaps the larger the being, the lesser their capacity to hear the call. But that theory is entirely debunked by great... Auntie Jean, who thought the rumors to be nonsense until she herself became confined to a wheelchair, then was quite often found in the study, but not chastised, of course, given her considerable years and frequent outbursts. Auntie Jean would just as easily shout you down to your britches as she would build you up with her praises. Auntie Jean was left to wander as she pleased, without consequence. The same could not be said for the grandchildren, or any other guests, for that matter. Since Georgie's bottle-touching incident, she took care to avoid the hall to which the study opened out, as well as the garden path the study windows peered across, or even the guest room above the study, come to think of it. She was once issued that guest room when visiting and begged most passionately to be relocated to a room, any room other than that one. "'opting to sleep in the stables with the stallions "'when all the others were occupied. "'Since Georgie's bottle-touching incident, "'she no longer taunted Henry with her superior age. "'She said more thank-yous and frequent pleases. "'At the dinner table, she'd dabbed her napkin and closed her lips. "'Often at these formal family occasions, "'she just smiled and nodded until the meal was done.' Henry missed their sparring. He missed her spirited ways and knew exactly when she became this prim and proper purveyor of parties, the visit after the visit when she touched the bottle, but never again. One would think this first-hand witness to the perils of the study would serve as a warning to young Henry, but they did not. Instead, they made him itch the sort of itch that must be scratched, and scratched by means of entering the ever-beckoning grandfather's study. Henry was a bright lad, so timed his exploit with the utmost care. He waited until the adults were preparing for dinner, distracted by an activity that rivaled a full theater production. Will you bring one thing and I'll grab the other? Where are the fish forks? Has anyone seen Mother? While they were busy looking for this and searching for that... Henry could remove himself without prying eyes or interested bodies. He made his way down the hall and soon heard that familiar whisper. His itch he soon would scratch. He ever so quietly, but definitely deliberately, placed his hand upon the knob and turned. The door almost opened itself for him, and with one, then two feet across the threshold, Henry was disappointed, to find the itch still itching and the whisper still whispering. In fact, the whisper intensified like a rush of waves on the shore, prodding him, Come, come closer, come closer and see. Henry knew his time was limited, as was the adult's preoccupation, but the chorus urged him to draw closer. "'Come, come closer, come closer and see!' By now it was nearly shouting. Surely the others would hear this. His silent walking and precision planning would all be in vain if he were to be caught and questioned on his intent. He told himself he was moving closer to avoid this interrogation, but was not entirely certain which was more tempting, avoiding detection or drawing nearer to the beckoning it did not matter either way henry was pulled in and found himself by the mantel clock looking deep into the ship adrift in the glass bottle sea the more he looked the more curious he became how was it that a ship of that size could enter such a small opening and envelop the whole of the bottle's belly did it shrink and then grow? Was the glass made around it? Did little tiny men with little tiny hammers build it deep inside? As he posed these questions, Henry felt himself drawing closer and closer still. He saw the ship in detail. The mainmast, the foremast, the mizzenmast, and the others. Masts abound on the SS whatchamacallit. Then there's the bowsprit and the flying jib-boom. Make up a name. They are bound to have something akin to it aboard this mighty vessel. Henry tried to take it all in, when out of the corner of his eye he thought. No, he was certain he saw something move. A small fleck, no larger than a flea. He turned and peered and pinched his eyes until he could see for certain. This fleck was not that of a flea. It was of a man, a man dressed in the most peculiar attire. He wore trousers cut at the knees, or were they a skirt, or perhaps a flowing pair of trousers. Either way, he wore them. Upon his head laid a cap of sorts, much like an overstretched sock, tied and tasseled on the end. He ran about at such a pace, shouting urgent pleas, Henry could not quite make out. With his pleading came a response of such force, Henry was literally taken aback. Men, what must have been one hundred, perhaps as many as three, came spilling onto the deck with such purpose. They soon took their stations of activity, hoisting, jibing, and lashing henry wasn't certain what came first the bombastic activity of the crew or the violent crashing of the waves but the waves seemed to have the advantage rising up and engulfing the entirety of the ship as though it were nothing more than a boat one's meant to row With each slap of the waves, the men held on tighter, committed to their task, unthwarted from their efforts, until the captain—he must have been the captain—with his hat sitting proudly on his head and his chest gleaming with medals of silver and gold. The captain called out to his men to stand firm and hold tight to their stations. He could see the wave that few survive, the wave that splits ships in two, heading their way, and in a blink— It hit, as though the ones before were a separate species. This wave, the wave as it deserves such distinction, ripped and stripped the S.S. Whatchamacallit to its skeleton. What was left could barely be described as a ship. And as for the men... Just that moment, a voice called from behind. "'You aren't touching anything, are you?' Henry turned to see his formidable grandfather filling the doorway. But how could he explain? In truth, he did not touch a thing. But in reality, the ship, once whole, was now in pieces. "'Grandfather, I'm ever so sorry,' Henry said. "'Whatever for, my boy?' "'I didn't touch a thing, I promise, but—but—' but...
1: "'One butts a rifle, two butts is a war.'
0: Henry couldn't find the words, so he just stepped aside and motioned to what he knew to be behind him, the smallest of ships that was no longer adrift, but in pieces on the bottom of a bottle.
1: Yes, fine vessel, the SS, whatchamacallit. She's given me years of pleasures untold. Henry
0: thought this an odd response when his grandfather's clearly prized possession was quite obviously mangled and broken beyond... Henry turned to look and saw the it in immaculate condition, untouched by the wave, untouched by the boy. But it was, it was, as it always is, pleasures untold. Henry understood and returned to the now prepared table where he dabbed his napkin and closed his lips. Speaking nothing of the smallest of ships, alone and adrift, in a fragile and sheer glass bottle. The End
1: Oh, thank you, Jules. What an extraordinary tale! One that even surprised you, Nanny Bee? Most definitely. I have never seen a smallest of ships, alone and adrift, in a fragile and sheer glass bottle with a seaman with a tassel on his hat. Ho, 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 how very extraordinary. The tassel was the surprising part? Oh, ah, yes. Just imagine the other crew member's response. There would be mutiny, as each one would insist on their very own
0: tassel. I think I can imagine... Well, maybe I'll have more surprises for you when I come back next week. Go to nannybee.com. Go there to find out about all our stories and how you can take part in the show like the epic Ophelia. Make sure to like or follow us on iTunes or Spotify to get a reminder. And come back next week for more Tales and Tea. Go on and leave
1: a message for Nanny Bee and you might be on the show. This has been a total whole production for nannybee.com.